Hello everyone, welcome to the Sea Live Podcast. My name's Sam. Welcome on in. As always, I've got my trusted friend and podcast sidekick, Mr. Chris Farns. How you doing, mate? Hello. How are you? All good, mate. All good. You've been you've been out and about this week? Yeah, I walked up into uh, Walton Village today and um, had a little pop in. Popped into the um, put my head in the Yingwa. It's coming on. We had Simon on the other week, didn't we? It's it's, it's coming on, mate. So um, hopefully. People can all get back in there in the next few weeks and have a nice meal. Absolutely, make sure you go down there. I think they're reopening on the thirty first at the end of this end of this July. So make sure you keep an eye out for that because fantastic food and again the the refurbishments are going to be unbelievable for Simon and the gang there. Um, we've got a quite a special guest this week, haven't we, Chris? We have. We've got a bit of a legend, I think. A legend in everything, in in regards to just being an all round gent as well. Um. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Mark Murahan. How are you doing, Mark? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. And you, and you. Nice and to see you, boys. Liverpool yeah. are Premier League champions, and that's a pretty big thing for you, being a big red. It is, yeah. It's been a while. 30 years. I've been around for a few of them. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, it, it's it's a special one. Because it's Jürgen's first one. So you more to follow. Absolutely. I mean, this team is absolutely unbelievable. The football that we've played since Klopp has come in uh, to Liverpool has been fantastic. I mean, the team that we had four years ago compared to what we have now is chalk and cheese, but he's totally flipped this football club upside down and this heavy metal football is unbelievable. Yeah. He's uh, he's a great man manager, isn't he? And and he, he, he gets players who they just want to play for him. And you know, there's not many of those types of managers come along. Shankly was one, Paisley was one, uh, Kenny Dalglish was was another. You know, and we've been lucky over the years. We've had we've had managers who've kind of who are cut from a similar cloth. And Jürgen's carrying on that great tradition. And you know, for what he's done in the time he's been here is just unbelievable. For the money he's had as well. Um, yeah, he's he's fantastic. I think he, he should have Robbie's uh, nickname. I think he should be called God. The German God. <laughs> well, that'll do. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you think we could do, see yeah, a yeah. future similar to Fergie under Jurgen Klopp? I mean, I, I'm tempting fate to saying Fergie and Klopp in the same uh, sentence, but the way that the team is set up, young players on on contracts uh, for the next couple of years, do you, do you can can you see a, a, a reign similar to to Fergie? Well, you'd like to think so because the age of the squad is quite young, isn't it? So they're, they're yet to hit their peak as as a squad of players. And we've got some great kids coming through as well. So I think the future's bright. As long as you can keep the squad together and keep all the key players happy, then there's no reason why we can't go on a run. But I think, you know, Man City are going to spend the six. They're all going to spend money. And, you know, with the COVID-19 situation, whether we'll be spending big is, is doubtful. So... We're going to really have to hit the ground running. And, and as Klopp said today in his press conference, we're not going to defend the title. We're going to attack it. And I think that's the right way to go. It's, that was yesterday. They've got to look forward and keep pushing as a squad. And I think we're, we're definitely capable of doing that. Yeah. Get back up and go the match when you can. Or... Yeah, well, yeah, well, I tend to go to more, more games in London. Um, like Palace is quite close to where I live so I go to Palace quite a bit my mate's uh, a, uh, a Tottenham fan so he always gets me um, a ticket when we play Tottenham so I tend to go more at games 
away games than I do at home games now. But when I'm up there, I always like a ticket from someone like when I can, as long as I'm not working that day. But yeah, so I get to as many games as possible. But I do miss miss my season ticket and, and going regularly. I mean, I went to my first game, I think, in 1967. So I've been been around a long time. So I do miss the game, yeah. Yeah, it's it. Um, although there was a lot of bad things happen this week, I think the achievement they they've done this season should not be under recognised by the COVID nineteen. They they they've played some unbelievable football this season, Liverpool. Well, we'd, for me, we'd already we'd already won it, hadn't we? I mean, we needed six points to win it. It turned out we didn't, but um, you know, the four nil. Um, that we just set our stall out like like we hadn't been away, so we'd already won it. Really, it was only a matter of time, and I felt really relaxed watching the the City um, Chelsea game. I thought, well, you know, it's only a matter of time. So whatever the result is, and uh, it was just great seeing all the lads. I was made up that they were all together with Jurgen, yeah. and yeah. and they had a good night by all accounts. So <laughs> celebrating style, and um, I just hope we can do a good job tomorrow. I think if uh, it'll be a good good market. For next season, if we can put a number on them tomorrow, you know it just bodes well. It's bragging rights, isn't it? And it's that mental edge um, of putting them. Well, they're already down as it is. I mean, obviously, when the the second goal went in for Chelsea, um, you just saw the whole team were deteriorated. You know, the heads had gone. Um, but I think this match tomorrow will put the nail in the coffin to say, look, Liverpool are back on that perch. They've got the FA Cup and they've got the Champions. League, so will he rest players or will it be pride? And will he, will he, will I'd like to, I hope he does rest players. You know, I'd like to see us bang a few goals in and just, just, um, you know, as I say, put a marker down for next season. But it'll, it'll be a tough uh, game. I think whatever. as well, we've got the points tally as well to, to fight for as well. And Jurgen Klopp is the type of character to go for that, you know, to say, you know, we've won the, we've won the title seven games, the, the, you know, the quickest time, although the longest time, but. Well, it's where this is where the so-called mentality monsters w- will come in. You know, if we can maintain that kind, of, the mentality they've shown all season, which I think they will. You know, they're winners, and um, hopefully tomorrow they'll 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 just Fantastic. carry on where they left off. And COVID has affected football. It's also f- affected the theatres around the UK and the world, and performers like myself and Chris. We've been obviously affected heavily by our, obviously our artists and our acts, but. How's that affected you? How are you doing during this crazy time? Yeah, well, I was, um, I was, I just started a tour of a, a play by the Waters of Liverpool, and we'd, we'd, um, we were touring all around the northwest, and I think we were we were two weeks in, we were in Warrington, I think, and then the, the rug got into that. So um, hopefully we're coming back next February, March to, to resume the tour. But then you know, like Southport was one of our venues that's gone so you just don't know what's going to be left come next year um i just think it's it's awful i, I think we've been hung out to dry the the entertainment the entertainment industry right across the board including you know you guys it's just we're falling through the gaps in the pavement you know it's it's uh, it's, it's terrible but yeah just plodding on i'm doing voiceovers luckily from home um and that's kind of kept me going and kept me busy kept me sane um you know, one or two hours a week just doing those um, is is the highlight of my week. Something to look forward to. So, but you know, not everyone is lucky enough to be able to do that. Um, so I'm fortunate in that sense. 
but I'm really worried about what the future holds for, for all of us. Yeah, they, running out of, they ran out of scripts for Coronation Street. Unless they're writing them. Oh, yeah. They can't film them. They film, I think, two or three months. They film, I think, two or three months ahead. So, I mean, what was it going out three or four nights a week? So they, I think they put it down to one night a week to eke out all the episodes. But, you know, that'll only last a certain point. I think now they've gone back, they'll probably double the workload and yeah. and bang a load of episodes out. Um, they're all back filming, do you think they're all back filming? Yeah, they're back filming, yeah, yeah. using all the social distance protocols and whatever. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but I think I, I don't know whether they're, I'm sure they are bringing COVID 19 into the storylines, but I think by the time the shows are all aired on TV, we'll we all have had enough of it. You know, <laughs> I think we always just want the escapism of not, of not having to deal with COVID 19 on telly as well as in life. So, Hopefully we'll be back to a semblance of normality. We'll be watching COVID nineteen on Corey, you know. Oh, if the Rovers return, can be the the pioneer of how they're going to sort the pubs out, which open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there'll be there'll be tape all over the floor. It'll be interesting. To tape watch. all over the floor. It'll be interesting to watch. <clears throat> so let's go to you. How how did you get? How did you start? Well, school really. Well, school really. junior school. Um, my teacher, Peter Sir. Uh, uh, Harry Sayre, rather, he um, he cast me in Peter Pan when I was, I think, nine or ten, and uh, you know I got the green <laughs> tights on. That was it. I got the book, and uh, and it kind of yeah, it, it, I got the book literally, and then I was, so I was in all the school plays, and then when I went to Arundel Comp, uh, Sefton Park Road, I'm a teacher there, and again he saw something in me and, and put me in all the school plays, and then when I was fifteen. The BBC came to our school auditioning for a Willie Russell um, series for the BBC called Lies. It was one of his first uh, TV plays. And me and my mate, Steve McManaman, <laughs> he's in it. And I played this character called Rolo, who was a little scally. And we filmed all in Liverpool around town and stuff. And um, and it was great. And, you know, I got paid a load of money. I thought, this will do me. Uh, but naive. At that age, I didn't know about equity and joining a union. So when I left school, I went to work for me, uh, my uncle in, in Garston. And uh, I was doing stuff at Unity Theatre, lots of amateur theatre and stuff like that to keep my hand in. But I was a bit, I was very green, so I didn't really understand the, the workings of the business. So, yeah, I just had normal jobs for, for a few years. And then Ricky Tomlinson was my um, first agent. My first job playing a, a copper on bread. I had a couple of lines in bread, and then it just kind of went from there, really. Ricky Thomas has in a lot of Liverpool actors in their careers. Like, we had Mickey Stark on the other week, and, and Ricky brought him into certain things. And it sounds like he, he did the same for you as well. Yeah, well, we were all, well, Mickey and I were both from the same, cut from the same cloth, really, at the Scouse Mafia, you know. Yeah, we were all, we were all in ART, and... Um, at the time, you know, there was, God, every actor in Liverpool was with Ricky, you know. And, you know, I did up, went up and did extra work and little bits and bobs. And and it was great. And you walk in the office and it was like, just, you were hit by clouds of smoke. And I used to spend all day chatting to Tommy because he told a great tale. And, you know, when, when I, because I wasn't working, I'd just spend my days in the office 
listening to Tommy. Then the, the phone would go and he go, yeah, lad, do your best. Go down. There's an audition for the commercial. Go on. And then he'd send you off on your way and you either got it or you didn't. But um, they were good days. Yeah, well, you've been, you've been in some famous TV shows. I've got some here. Uh, Brookside, Peak Practice, London's Burning, Holby City, The Bill, Heartbeat, Coronation Street, Emmerdale. They're not just little soaps. They're major television soaps, these, that have been on for years. Yeah, but I think most actors, because a lot of those are continuous drama or soap, so most actors do guest appearances in all those shows. I was lucky enough to have good runs in a lot of them as well, so... So, yeah, just job and actor, really, just going from, you know, one to the other, and, and sometimes you get asked back. I mean, I think I've done Doctors about four times playing different characters, so <laughs> it's just the way it Like, the bill was good for that, you know. You've always got, and, and Casualty and Holby, but I was in Holby a lot longer. But, yeah, so you kind of did your job, went in and did a, a guest part, and then two years later they'd ask you back and you'd go and do it again, playing another character. So most actors have kind of done that circuit, really. Everyone different, or do you get the same kind of? It's the same way to learn scripts, or is every show kind of different? No, every show's different. No, every show's different. I mean, the technique—it's all about the people you work with, really. Right. I've had some of the best laughs of my life on a set, and if you're surrounded with the right people, like Mickey Stark is a great example. Mickey on a set or in theatre, he just has you in stitches, and. He's a nightmare to work with, but I mean that in the nicest way because he's, he's brilliant, but he's so funny and he cracks me up. I can't look at him without falling over laughing. So he can be a nightmare to work with in that sense. Like in Brooks, I'd say, he would be over his shoulder. So the camera's on me. And Mickey would just, he'd just pull a little face and I'd be gone, you know, and it's your shot. And, you know, it's the longer, the longer you're laughing, you're costing money. So, you know, I'd get into trouble because Mickey was making me laugh, you know, but, but, you the, the, the best times the best times when when you have a laugh and a giggle on set. That's saying he was having work done on his patio. <laughs> yeah, that figures. He he's had all the jokes. He's had all the jokes. <laughs> now, but there's so many famous shows that you've appeared in. What would you say your your fa favorite one that you worked on was so so far? Uh, uh, I think for the the thing closest to my heart and the most fun, it's got to be Dream Team because uh, I got to play football every day. We um, we we filmed in in some great stadiums. We went to um, Mallorca and filmed in Real Mallorca's ground on the touchline while they were playing Real Madrid. Sure. I've got and I, I make I make a substitution. I took a crowd behind us and I'm making this substitution, bringing in Lucas on. And all the crowd are going, because he's got his name on, on, on the back of his shirt, all the Spanish crowd are going, Lucas, Lu I mean, to, to, to pay for that footage would have cost millions, and we got it for free, you know. So that was, was amazing. We went to Paris, uh, PSG, we filmed at PSG, and yeah, some of the best times uh, in my career was on Dream Team, I, definitely. Go on, Chris. Sorry. So people don't... Well, sorry, if people don't know what Dream Team was, it was a... It was a Harchester United... Team, and it was on what? What year was it running? It was on Sky One, wasn't it? It was Sky One. Yeah, I joined in. Yeah, I joined in Series Three, and I think it was about two thousand. Right. So 2000, you were two thousand, two thousand and one when I joined. And you were the manager, Ray Wyatt. Ray Wyatt. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, no nonsense. Because, what what style did you have then? Who would you compare yourself to in the well, league? Well, well, I modelled him on Peter well. Reid. Really? Yeah. Well, I played with Reid a few times in, in um, uh, you know, the pro celeb amateur games or whatever. And um, was who I based my character on, yeah? Because he was... Like, he took no crap from anybody. And I just liked... The, I liked him as a player, the uh, the park, like, but um, but yeah. So I modelled, I kind of modelled him on Reedy. And did you put your own spin on the character as it, as within the scripts? Did you say, oh, I, I think it should be done like this, or? Uh, well, yeah, you can do. That's yeah. what they pay you for. That's what actors do. You know, you bring your interpretation to the table, and a director can can guide you, and and they often do guide you in a certain way, and. And you nod and then do it your way anyway. Um, but yeah, so so, and it's often the way it's written as well. You and, and sometimes if you're lucky, you they get to know how how you do things. Then they start to write for you as an actor, and and that works out quite well when that happens. Um, but you know, I had a, my character had an affair with Linda Block in in the show. That was nothing to do with me. That was all to do with the writers. It was a dirty job, but somebody had to do it. You know. <laughs> Imagine that was a tough role to uh, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. And you, we were talking off off uh, screen uh, on Monday, um, that you've you've done like a Zoom with the Dream Team. Yeah, about um, three or four weeks ago, um, one of the the uh, cast members, not none of uh, who I work with, but they got together to to do a, a Zoom with all the cast a reunion, and. Uh, Three, four, or five. Another one at some point as well. So yeah, it's uh, it's been fun. All this Zoom lockdown stuff. I've, I've enjoyed it. And is that is that available to see? Yeah, it's still on YouTube, I think. Oh, fab! Harchester United, Harchester reunited title. <laughs> <laughs> was yeah, it weird? If wants to see that you can still catch up. Weird seeing everyone after so long, and yeah, well, yeah, well, some people I've kept in touch with anyway, but um, yeah, it was great just um, seeing people again after so long, and some I didn't recognise. They'd had to put weight on or lost all their hair or whatever, and I'm sure it was the same for them. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, but uh, it was nice. It was a nice thing to do. And when, and when you were on that show, was it? Um, obviously, it was a football team. So you just went around stadiums. What was the the pub? Was that the best stadium you went to in 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 Spain? Was that the best one? The best well, PSG, PSG, and Real Mallorca were the best two, definitely. Um, we filmed all our home games at Millwall, the Den. So uh, it wasn't wasn't as upmarket as some we we went to, but um, but it was good fun, you know. And I I did some stuff with uh, Harry Redknapp. I was supposed to be buying a player off him and he and we had a few scenes together and <laughs> so it was great. And Alan Kirbishley, I went down to Charlton and I was chatting to Alan Kirbishley on the pitch about buying players and so to be around those those guys, you know, because uh, as I say, being a, a football fanatic anyway, so that job it literally was a dream job. So when that, that led led on to as you say to the, the legends and stuff like that, um, this this the sport are they they're like the one off games they do for the charity games. Yeah, we we played yeah. every week. We, we played every week, though. I mean, I played with all the Corridors. I mean, I mean, we had some great players. Alan Kennedy played with us, you know. Uh, um, Norman Whiteside. We had some great players coming and out, you know. 
and uh, and even the, the, the actor lads, they could all play, and we had a decent side, um, and they're, they're still playing now. But you know, it depends who was available on on the day. But I played, I played for about ten years for them, and we played virtually every week. But it was great. We went all over the place, all over Europe, playing all over the country. So you know, where else could you get to to, to do that other than the, the job? See, that must have been a, a, quite an easy, an easy. Although you've you got to lay in your scripts, it must have been quite an easy role for you to do because you're so passionate about football. It does help, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I tried to to base Ray Wyatt on 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 what I knew about the game and and you know people like Peter Reid and and watching other people do it wrong hmm. in other football shows. Not that there, there were that many around, but you know when it's done badly. It just it, it looks awful on screen. So I wanted to make it more authentic and try and be as as honest and as as as, as authentic as possible, really, within the confines of obviously, you know, the storylines were a bit over the top and but all the football <laughs> stuff was great. I mean, all, all the stuff going on behind the scenes, uh, interested in, but the football stuff was was magic, you know. And did you all did you all have? Did you all like obviously have a knockabout and, and play just every day? Well, we used to train every morning and on on Millwall's pitch, and um, yeah, we get the cones out and we'd be every and then we we'd shoot all that stuff. For, so every morning we train. Yeah, it was like a proper. It was run like a proper football team, and we'd play as well. And we played like we went to Dublin. We played Shelbourne, and we uh, the ground was sold out. And I think it was the only time. Shelbourne had been sold out when they were playing, oh, and we drew yeah. to all. And I kid you not, they had they had some young lads playing, and um, they had a really good side, a lot of first team players. And anyway, we drew to all with them, so we had some decent lads playing for us. Like quite interesting, like it's probably like a proper football team. What, yeah, I'm when... sure if it had been a real game in the league, they'd, they'd give us a hiding. But but you know, but you know, for what it was, I mean, we, we held our own against them. <laughs> and you um. Took other roles on like Brookside. Was it nice to come home and 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 be close to sort of your family and uh, while you're working as well? As yeah, well? I mean, yeah, I mean, for years and years, Brookie, I, I, Brookie had well, I played two different characters uh, previous to that in a couple of episodes there, and I thought, well, that's that's Brookie. I've done that. That's gone. So you know, I spent most of my career moving up and down the country, jobbing, doing plays, doing little little acting jobs on various TVs and stuff. So to get a long running thing on Brookie was great because it, it meant, as you say, I could be at home and whatever. So, yeah, but I think I was there for about 18 months. People think I, Some people think I was there longer, but I wasn't. 18 months and um, and that was that was me in the shower explosion. Wherever you go in, in for what we've... Because we have to obviously research a, a little bit about your career before you go. Every kind of um, soap you've done, you've always had a bit of a... Um, and like and a, a, a big ending or something to your characters, haven't they? They're all like this. Yeah, I think that's the nature. I think that's the nature. That when they're getting rid of you, that's what that's what happens. They write a nice big ending for you, or sometimes they don't. You just disappear into the into the ether, you know. Yeah, well, I was seeing. I was like, Ooh. and it was said. It, it came up as a link of uh, the top. Was it top eleven, Sam? Top eleven. Top eleven. Yeah. Uh, um, Shocking moments in Brookside, and yours was in the top top ten of the shower. So you you you've got a bit. Of, you're on the mantle of the explosion. Oh, right. Yeah, it was good fun. Now again, I had a time at uh, 
at Brookie, working with mates, some great mates, you know, and and I'm still in touch with with them today. So, um, you know, that it, it's it was it was a good time, but you know, not every nothing lasts forever. So you you move on. And I came out of Brookside and went straight into Dream Team. Do you find that you line jobs up as you go, or did you just see different ones this year? It doesn't work that way. You know, some actors say, um, say um, I decided to do this and I decided to go and make this film and do... Well, any actor who's done that has, has either got a rich parent or, or somebody who's already in the business and is well-known because I... I just went where the work was. Yeah. You know, the, the the jobs choose you. You don't choose the jobs unless you, you've got a few quid behind you when you can afford to say no. So I was always, I didn't say no to, to much in my early career um, because, you know, you've got to put food on the table. So I tended to get soaps a lot because that's what I got offered. So, you know, you do what you've got to do. And um, I don't, I've had a great career. I'm, I'm very happy with it. Um but I just, film was always what I wanted to do, apart and theatre, which I, that's where I started. But but I always wanted to get into film, and it's only been in the last say ten years or so, or less even, that I've managed to do a, a bit of that. And uh, I find that I get more gratification from that than than doing a soap or a TV job, because it's it's just the the scripts are often better, the parts are more interesting, and. Uh, I find that I just get more out of out of it. Yeah. Any like sort of actors or anyone who inspired you to to act, or did you just find it that was the thing for you? Uh, well, locally, um, Sean McKee and Ian Hart, we were both around at the same time. And for me, I watched Sean and uh, and he was no longer with us. Bless him. Uh, Sean was very talented and. And so was Ian. And I knew from, from I think I was about 16 or 17, I knew that Ian Hart was going to be, well, I didn't know he was going to be big, but I knew he was good. And I, so I always looked up to those guys. And um, so so they inspired me at, at Unity Theatre when I was a kid doing doing shows. And so they definitely inspired me. Uh, in terms of big names, people like Gene Hackman, I'm a massive fan of Gene Hackman. Robert De Niro, all the usual suspects, but um, yeah, there's so many great actors who've come and got Jack Nicholson, who've come and gone over the years, uh, and I love all the old movies as well. I was always into. My dad got me into all the old World War Two films when I was a kid. You know, above us, some of the waves and and all those Jack Hawkins, and so I was brought up on that stuff. The Dam Busters, The Great Escape, and they were those actors were my heroes as a kid. And, and, the first thing I, I remember was, I must have been about six or seven, and I saw Ivanhoe with Robert Taylor, all this, the knights in shining armour with all these colours, vivid colours in Technicolor, and I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to be an actor, ride a horse <laughs> and swing a sword. And uh, I never really got to do that. But, um, you know, that's the way it goes. Hey, new role coming oh, in. I've, I've, got a, I've got a funny story, actually. Go, I went, the Go BBC, I went, the BBC were doing Ivanhoe, I think it was Anne Henderson was casting it. So, uh, ART, Tommy got me in on. I went on a crash course over at learning to ride a horse with a shield and a sword, um, going over the jumps. So, I, was, I did this course in about three weeks. And I thought, right, I grew a beard and uh, I threw my 
himself wholeheartedly into this audition. Anyway, it goes down to London, and um, that I didn't even get to read. I was I went in. They said hello to me, brought me in, and but I, they didn't ask me to read because I opened my mouth and I come this Scouse accent. So I think they just thought, well, the Scouse isn't going to do it for us. I said to them, I, I really want to play front to birth, you know, the the, the baddie. And uh, but I, I sold my soul for this part, and it was a valuable lesson learned. And I never ever did that again. I just thought. No, it's not worth it, you know. So, um, so yeah, I never did get to play uh, in Ivanhoe, but it was a, it was a lesson not to put all your eggs into one basket when you when you go for a role. Do you that? Then you say you scout. Do you um? Do you have to accents? Are you good at accents? Well, I like to think I am. Well, I like to think I am. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's I think it, as an actor, your your voice is you is the you know you've got to be versatile with it and I'm lucky enough as I say to do a lot of voiceover work and I, I do some with my accent but I do a lot of other characters and stuff like that so it's it's a handy tool to have Let's because say. you were saying you do voiceover work you're probably well the the the, the one for, for narrators I mean to, to be in that, that job for people that don't know uh, you're the narrator for Thomas the Tank Engine uh, and that is just well synonymous with my childhood growing up. Uh, but for the likes of your family and grandchildren, what's it like for them? And obviously yourself being the narrator of of, of Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, it's uh, when I got the job. It was um, yeah, I had to jump through a lot of hoops to get it. And um, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was just it was it came at the right time and. Um, you know, following Michael Angelis, who we lost recently, yeah. you know, and Ringo Starr did it originally. So, I mean, the, George Carlin did it in America. So there's been some amazing names, you know, that I've, I've followed. So it's a privilege to be a part of it. And um, I don't do the TV series now, actually, but I'm doing, I do a lot of um, podcasts for them I'm doing. And um, I do a, a live action series called Storytime with Mr. Evans. So there's been lots of, offshoot stuff that's come from it as well still working with the brand and uh and i'm still there so yeah but thomas does his own his own voice now he does his own storytelling so i'm not quite in the series anymore but but i'm still still around doing my thing but yeah it's a privilege to be a part absolute um it's just a, a, a legendary show, isn't it, in the history of television because you've got all these other things you've been in like coronation seat emma dale brookside but Something like that is the is the it's the, the child kind of legendary show. It's it's I've got my my lad's um, he's three in September and he watches it daily. Do you know what I mean? When we, we, we read the books, it's a massive massive industry. Yeah, my, my big grandsons, big grandsons watched it when when uh, I think they were just at the right age when I first started doing it. So the kudos with my two grandsons well, for a while, but yeah. They've outgrown it now, thankfully. But uh, yeah, no, it is. It's it's a. As I say, it was a lovely thing to be a part of. But going back to Michael Angelis, I've got a, a great story. But we, um, you remember the mm. Scousers on Harry Enfield? Yeah. Well, we, well, I I used to be I used to do that. But anyway, on one of the one of the sketches, Michael Angelis came in to play our dad, and um, and it was great. So we had we just had such a, a good crack on Seth. Anyway, we've we'd finished filming. We finished like by lunchtime, and he said, "Do you fancy a pint in my local, the Fiend Arms in Fulham to meet?" So, um, so me and Gary Bleasdale, who played the other scouts, 
set. We jumped in his car and we went down to his local pub. And he went, this, we goes in the pub and it's just like bar in the centre. And on the other side of the bar is George Best. Wow. So there's just us. There's just wow. us and George Best. And uh, Michael said, come and meet me, mate, George, you know. So we spent the whole day with him. And George, he did some interviews with the Daily Express or whatever it was. I think he had a, a football column at the time. Anyway, and then George's wife came in and he sent, sent her off to Fortnum and Mason's to get four boxes of um, oysters. So I sat all day with, with Georgie Best drinking wine and, and eating oysters. And it's just one of the most surreal moments uh, ever, you know, and, and being in his company. And uh, he just, he was just a lovely guy and, and um, listening to his, his tales, you know. But that was Michael Andela. So I've, got, I've only got fond memories of, of Michael. I was sad to hear that he he, he uh, passed yeah, away yeah. recently. And the, the the kind of the, the Thomas voice it kind of suits the scouts. Do you know what I mean? You got well, Ringo. What, what happened was originally happened was originally it was Ringo Starr. Yeah. So you know that be uh, that was kind of and then Michael Angelus had that kind of natural beatly tone anyway. Yeah. So so when I went for the audition, I thought. Everyone who's been before me has, has had that kind of style. So I just did an impression of Michael Angelis wow. doing Ringo Starr, <laughs> and they liked it. And then, so I got the job. But I mean, it was it went over months and months doing tests after test, and and they sent it off to America and Australia for for a test audience to listen to, and it came back and they liked it. And so I kind of, that's by by doing an impression of Michael Angelis, I got the job. And it was only once I'd started. I started to pull back then and make it try and make it my own. Uh, and I think what I did, what I do now to what I started with is really different. So if you listen to any of the earlier episodes, I am literally <laughs> talking like that. You know, it's weird. But um, anyway, it got me the job, so there you go. How do you get footage and, and you get the script and you've just got to put it in if you're doing voiceover? How does that work? Yeah, you go, you go, to, you go to a studio and they, sometimes you do it cold with nothing on the screen. And sometimes you do it to picture. So you'll see Thomas coming up and then the words will come up on the screen and you and then a green line goes across. So you, you kind of that, you get bleeps, three bleeps and then you start and you've got to keep in with it within a certain frame. So it, it's all um, technical stuff. Yeah, but no, it, it works out quite well. It must be fun to do, though. It's great. I love it. I mean, it can be hard. It's not physically hard work, but it, mentally it can be draining if you if you're in the chair for like, I don't know, four, five, six hours, and you're doing script after script. You know, you you, you can go a bit stick. You you start doubting what you said, what you've said. You know, yeah. it, 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 you get brain fuzz sometimes. But I love it. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely um, a privilege to do. Which we um, and I only discovered this because I only discovered the show a couple of years ago. But you're good at cooking. Oh yeah, master chef. You're gonna talk about that, aren't you? Think, you're gonna talk about that, aren't you? I think I like it. Yeah, no, well, this is, yeah, I got, um, I, I got offered MasterChef and I thought, oh, well, that might be interesting. But I thought, there's no way I'm going to get past the first round. So I just thought I might learn something. So off I went and I practiced for a few months doing dishes and testing them on my, my wife and stuff. And, and she said, well, this is nice. Do that one, you know. And so I had, a, by the time you get to the show, I had about probably eight or nine dishes that I'd practiced. And I think the first one I did was um, was uh, a, prawn, a seafood <clears throat> pasta, langoustine and and prawns and mussels and scallops and all all this, and and they loved it. 
so that I got through the first round, and yeah, so each one I was getting, but you get so wrapped up in it. I got through each round, and and obviously, I will. The reason that I was happy to do it, I broke my leg playing football in a charity game, and after I just left Holby, so I couldn't work, so I wasn't earning any money. So so that came at the right time, and obviously, the longer you, the longer you're in something, the more you get paid. So. So I was just getting, every time I got through a round, I was like, kitchen, that's another few quid, I'm all right, you know. Anyway, I got through to the final and we went we went out and cooked in the bush in, in South Africa in the, the Kruger National Park and we cooked for the rangers in the bush, <clears throat> crocodiles floating past us on the river and hippos and all sorts. It was just an amazing experience. And um, anyway, so the penultimate day of the final, we're cooking in Marcus Waring's restaurant, Petrus, um, and we're cooking for like six or seven Michelin-starred chefs. Uh, <clears throat> Mich- uh, Michelle Rue Jr., um, uh, Atul Kocher, there was a load of them. Anyway, so Marcus, when his, his menu was like so detailed, I was on the main course, which was rabbit rolled about five different ways, <laughs> cooked different ways. Andy Peters was on dessert and Liz McLaren was the starter. So he comes up to me and he says, right, I'm going to go and help the other two. I'll come back in five minutes and I'll show you how to um, roll the rabbit leg. So I'm getting on with the sauces and prepping everything. Next thing and I'm like, okay. So he comes over and he says, where's your rabbit leg? And I'm like, excuse me? I thought you, you were going to show me how to do the rabbit leg. And he said, no, you've got no time now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I, I just, basically, I just lost my rag and flipped. And I, I said, you can stick it up, Jacks. You know? <laughs> I walked out and I walked through the restaurant and said to the, all the chefs sat, sat down, you're not getting any food off me. And I walked outside and I stood there and I was thinking, right, well, I've got to go back in because all my stuff's there. So five minutes goes by and it goes back in. So next thing, Marcus Waring comes out the kitchen and we have this big slanging match and they're filming all of this. And I'm I'm saying, you ever speak to me like that again? And I won't repeat what I said to him. Anyway, so Richard Coggins <laughs> like this in the chair, he's laughing his head off. Anyway, it all got a bit emotional. And, and Marcus Waring says, right, I'm going to go back in the kitchen are you going to join me? I said, yeah, I'm going to join you. So I goes back in and we finished cooking for the guys and it was all... So as it goes into the... John took the road and Greg on the pass like this. <laughs> and I just went, you can F off. <laughs> I, knew, I knew I wasn't going to win. Anyway, so that was that. I got on with it. And the, next, the last day was was all fine. So the pressure was off me because I knew it wasn't... The thing is, this runner comes up to me and he says... Um, do you know what happened there? I said, no, what? He said, the director went up to Marcus Waring and said, go and give him a hard time. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was a, a harsh lesson learned. But when it was edited together, when it came out on screen, it looked like I just flipped for no reason. I couldn't cope. And I'd, I'd just wandered off somewhere. And they even they even filmed Marcus Waring coming outside the restaurant, shouting up and down the street, is anyone? One seen this chef. Yeah. Well, I know I didn't move from that front step. I was there for five minutes. I did so they must have shot that after we'd all finished filming. They'd never moved. So so again it was a lesson learned, you know. But you 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 enter those things and you should be aware that and there is going to be a stitch up element somewhere along the way. But yeah, but it was still a great experience and I got to do some amazing things. And I did learn how to cook, really. So yeah, and I still carry that through in life. I, I love cooking, so so it was a great experience, but a funny story nonetheless. 
Annie McLaren won, won, didn't she? She won. The Liz match. won, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, her journey was massive because she'd never, she'd never done a roast dinner when she started. She'd never cooked anything, and uh, you know, by the end of it, she was pff, phenomenal. So yes, yeah, she, she deserved to win. You know, I was too, I was too stroppy to win, but it was great fun. And, you know, I got to travel halfway around the world, and and yeah, I, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have swapped that experience asked, for anything. The video because we were talking. About Sheffield there. I, I did go back and had a little look at it and it, it must be proper pressurising to be in a kitchen like that. Absolutely. It was, yeah. Well, I'm a very emotional person. You went so much into it and you literally are in a bubble because yeah. it's so intense. You, you're there for about, I don't know, two or three months maybe from start to finish. So it's so intense and, and you do, you care. I mean, I, I care about everything I do. I want to do the best job I can do. So I totally immerse myself in it. And, um, you know, when, when, when you get praise and they, I'm not great at getting praise. I get a bit embarrassed sometimes. So, so getting that praise from these, these accomplished chefs, it, it does make you emotional and, and to think, wow, you know, I actually can cook. And, uh, so it was, it was a, it was a fantastic job to do really. Um, Offers for any shows like I don't know, uh, I'm a yeah, well, funnily enough, I did. I worked with the other Atomic Kitten as well. Um, we did, um, I did a series called Two of Us, and it was duet. And, um, uh, we, we, yeah, you, yeah, there was a you paired with a singer and you do uh, different style songs each week, and again, got to the final and um, came runner up to uh, Russell Watson. And Sean Reeves, who who I was just on tour with before we got locked down, so it's funny how how things um, uh, turn around. But yeah, uh, so lucky to have had lots of diversity really. In, in and my at, at that point, it, it, it led you to releasing your own swing album, which is something that I kind of want to uh, touch upon just before we we finish for this evening. Um, swing music must be a great part of your life growing up to bring out an album. I mean, all the different genres, but talk about how much swing music is important for you and how it shaped you. Well, yeah, I mean, Frank Sinatra, you know, all all of those guys, Sammy Davis, um, Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Dean Martin, all those guys brought up on it. But then when I did just the two of us, I met Nicky Campbell and we both got talking about swing and he said, I write music. He said, I'd like to write you um, a tune. So he, he wrote me this. I said, write yeah. me a Cole Porter number. Joking. Anyway, he wrote me this, he wrote me this song called <laughs> Wonderfully Wonderful You. And, and it, it just, it's evocative of that era and that period. And he's a great writer, Nicky. So uh, over a bottle of wine in his garden, we recorded it in his studio at home. And um, he said, should we do an album? So we did a load of demo tracks. He sent them off to Lynn Records, a jazz label. And he didn't tell them who it was. Anyway, they they loved the stuff, and they gave us a record deal. So we we got a, a nine ten uh, swing band piece swing band band together, and we toured for a year promoting the album, and we did loads of tellies. We Alan Titchmarsh show and GMTV and you know Good Morning Britain, all that stuff. So yeah. I spent a year on the road with Nicky doing doing gigs with this big band, and you know again a dream come true because I would never in a million years have. I've dreamt of doing an album, um, and that is down to Nicky, Nicky Campbell. He's just doing this podcast now all about dogs, one of the family. He's just asked me to do some stuff on that for him. Um, so, yeah, it, Nicky's a good mate, yeah, um, and I'll be forever grateful to him for, for the album. 
Yeah, because you you've pretty much done everything, haven't you? You 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 acting, you you fucked football, cock, <laughs> sing, theatre. All stage master, stage master, <laughs> and on. Yeah, that all one. But yeah, I mean, yeah, but that you know, whatever I do, I just I just like to enjoy it and and do my best. And uh, yeah, thankfully, I've. I've managed to, to do it for a long time. Is there one thing that you haven't done that you thought, gosh, I wish I'd, I, I, I want to do that? I want to see him on Strictly Come Dancing. Nah. <laughs> you know what? Funny, again, when I did Just the Two of Us, the first series of Strictly, it was made by the same company who did Just the Two of Us, they asked me, because I'd just finished in Holby, <clears throat> they asked me would I do it, and I thought... See, nah, it's not for me. So, nah, it's and wiggling your ass all day. I could, it's just not me at all. So, no, I mean, hats off to those who can do it because you know there's been some great dancers on there, but it's just not my bag, really. Well, I think. But yeah, going back to going Go on. back to the, the any roles like Ivanhoe is definitely yeah. the one that is that passed the me by. You know, swing a sword with a suit, suit of armor on, and you know, I'm still I'm still quite fit, so I'm I haven't given up hope. They might do Ivanhoe the theatre, and you well, might. I could play his dad or his, dad or his granddad, couldn't I? But haven't you played? Um, you're playing Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, Grandpa, yeah. The the cocaine snort and Grandpa, cocaine snort and Grandpa. <laughs> that was great fun. Um, have you ever seen the film Alan Alda? Uh, Alan Alda. Alan. Yeah, it was a big. Yeah, big it's, such, it, it's it's quite quirky, but it was it was great fun to do, and and I had a great number in the show, and very risque, and. I just loved everything about Grandpa because he's um, he's a naughty boy, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it was just a, again great cast, great fun to do, and um, that finished, that was last that way. So. I had a look at that. That finished in Liverpool, didn't it? Yeah, the playoffs. It was brilliant yeah. to come back to Liverpool, back to Liverpool, and I mean. uh, and finish in my hometown. The last week was amazing. Yeah, it was great. And, and is that a long process? Does that take months and months and months and months to, to rehearse theatre stuff? Well, you yeah, you don't really get you kind of say I think three or four. Well, it was it was in it was in in town in a theatre already, so the show was already up and running. So I just jumped in and had, I had two weeks rehearsal. So you kind of hit the ground running, and then we were out on tour. So yeah, I literally just had two weeks rehearsal and off we went. But I was joining a show that was already established. So everyone knew what they were doing. I just had to fit in around them. Because when we do theatre stuff, Sam and I, I love the whole theatre and the back, being in the back. and the, it's, it's just a great, great feeling, the theatre. And I always... Yeah, especially the old... Yeah, especially the older ones. I always think, who's stood on this stage? Who's, who's been in this dressing room? Like Laurel and Hardy, Frank Sinatra, all those old artists, you think, who, who's been in this room, you know? Yeah. And that for me is magic, and I just love—I love all theatres, and I love—I love—I love being around them. Yeah, that I'm—I think I'm, that's where I'm most at home on is the theatre, definitely. It is a magical place, especially yeah. if you do theatre shows and stuff ourselves. It's there's something special about a theatre, rather than a stage. It's stage. It's 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 a good place to be, and I, yeah. I, I people uh, going forward inspire because I know. There's just been a load of the um, degrees given out, Sam, in the LMA, is it? And, and a lot. I've got a friend who, who's just passed with, with theatre, and I hope they get the chance when after lockdown or with, to get on the stage and, and try. It's amazing. 
Yeah, uh, this is it. What's going to be? What's going to be left? For, I feel sorry for young actors who are just coming out of drama school. <clears throat> they, you know, I mean, none of us know what we're going into. Whether we've got any careers left, and that's a worry. Um, so, if you're young, just starting out and coming out of drama school, that must be a massive worry. But uh, you know, all we can do is is hope for the best and um, and see what next year brings. Great advice, great advice. Well, folks, I think that brings the end to the Sea Live podcast for this week. Uh, do us a favour, go and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So, on Facebook, we are at Sea Live. On Twitter, we are Sea Live Enter One, and on Instagram, we are Sea Live UK. Um, Mark, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for uh, talking to us this evening. Yeah, I enjoyed it. You're very much welcome to come it. back anytime soon, um, especially during lockdown as well. Um, Chris, as always, thank you so much. Um, See you next week. Be safe. And again, folks, stay safe out there, and we'll see you next week for another edition of the Sea Live podcast. Man, God bless. Bye-bye.